Hello, America, and happy Friday. This is a special edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. You know about us now. You've been listening to us for several months. We want to thank you for joining us and uh, joining in the fight for truth and justice that uh, is all at the center of what Just the News and John Solomon Reports is about. So today, if we're going to have a special edition of the podcast, we better have a special guest, and I think we delivered. Why? Because we've got the one, the only, Tom Fitton, the head of Judicial Watch, the man whose lawsuits have brought to light much of the wrongdoing, not only in the Russia case, but in so many other aspects of our government. It's a watchdog that uses the Freedom of Information Act to file lawsuits that try to fight to get the American public, the American people, we the taxpayers, we the citizens, the sort of information we can use to judge the conduct of our political leaders and, of course, our uh, government. And uh, Tom and I have engaged over the years on many important stories, particularly when his lawsuits have brought to light government documents from the State Department, from the Justice Department, from the FBI, from uh, other federal agencies in the alphabet soup uh, swamp that is Washington. Well, today we're going to talk about the most important endeavors he has ongoing right now, State Department, Justice Department, FBI. Which documents are we gotten? Which documents should we be getting that the bureaucrats are holding back from us? This is a special edition, a special discussion. We're not going to do a monologue. We're going to get right to it. Uh, it's a rare moment when you can get a good half hour with Tom Fitton to talk about the future of disclosure in America. Uh, all, when I'm done, I think you'll be inspired to file your own FOIAs and try to get the ball rolling to try to hold government account through the Freedom of Information Act to give us the truth. That's all we're asking for. We're not looking for politics. We're not looking for election outcomes. We're looking for the truth, just like our founding fathers intended. And that's why the FOIA law, by the way, it still works. Yeah, you got to go to court sometimes. I've sued several times. But the more you work at it, the more we can force into public the truth and the better our government can be because its citizenry can act as an additional watchdog, an additional check and balance on government power, government conduct, government ethics. And uh, Tom Fitton and his great group, Judicial Watch, have been at the heart of this for a very, very long time. And I'm proud that on this Friday, in the middle of August, that we have an opportunity to sit for a half hour and talk about information flow in America, freedom of information, putting a check and balance on our government. So we're going to go to this quick commercial break. Remember to support our sponsors and advertisers. They're amazing. They make this programming. They make the reporting of Just the News possible. And when we come back, a half hour one-on-one -on -one conversation with none other than Tom Fitton at Judicial Watch. Hey, folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. 
All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. All right, folks, I promised a special podcast this week, and I to have a special podcast, you have to have a very special guest, and we have that today. Tom Fitton, the head of Judicial Watch, welcome to John Solomon Reports. John, good to be with you. Appreciate your great work. Well, same here. We I couldn't write a lot of the things I've written in the last 10 years if it wasn't for the extraordinary work of Judicial Watch and fighting for public information that bureaucrats have tried to hide. So we're deeply indebted to you and your group and your lawyers for all all they've achieved in getting transparency for the American public. Well, thank you very much for the good word. Yeah, same here. All right. Um, you have so many amazing things going on, uh, lawsuits winding their way in. I wonder if we can just start a big picture for a second. You're fighting to get truth out, truth that would not only help President Trump, but particularly the American people. And yet, even in his administration, you're finding these efforts to hide, uh, uh, slow down, uh, deceive, so that they don't have to release uh, documents. Give us some of the more frustrating examples of this sort of obstruction of the public flow of information that, that you're wading through right now. Well, you know, on Obamagate, for instance, uh, we have asked for... I, I, I don't even want to think when we began asking. I think it was in 2017 when it was yeah. first exposed what Peter what Peter Strzok and Lisa Page were up to. We asked for their communications with each other, and it's been years, and they've been slow walking the release of the records. They are they only review the records at the rate of 500 pages a month. We only get a portion, obviously, of what they review. Right. And at this rate, we won't get all the Page Strzok communications until when the end of next year, well into the next administration. And this is a sort of material that could have been released at the drop of a hat. And frankly, if it had been released in a timely way, for instance, we would have known about the shenanigans with General Flynn. Right. We would have known just recently we found that uh, Strzok was trying to use the counterintelligence briefings, not to spy on candidate Trump, but to spy on President. President Trump and the White House. Extraordinary material that they've been sitting on for years over at the FBI. Mm. And now it's funny. Remember three years ago, people say, oh, you're making it up. It's a lie. It's a conspiracy theory that there was spying going in. Now the media and the Democrats don't even try to go there because you proved it. I mean, that January 21st, 2017 briefing, which we wrote about in Just the News, all our, our listeners are going to be familiar with that. It's amazing that it's 2020 and that's the first time we learn it. Um, crazy. Just crazy stuff. It is, and, and the way the media does deals with it is they just ignore that it's happening. Yeah. So we have we have confirmation that not only were they spying on Trump as a candidate, uh, but that they continued it after he was president, and the media pretends it's not important. You know, it's interesting. We're tearing around, and the left is going around tearing down statutes of politicians from the 19th century, but we're not allowed to ask questions about what Obama did four years ago. Yeah, and by the way, we're heading into the 2020 election, and we still haven't figured out everything that happened in 2016, and we'd know far less if it wasn't for what Judicial Watch and you have done. It's just unbelievable that four years later, the bureaucracy won't let us see what they did. It's um, it's sinful. It really is. Well, well, you know, in the Justice Department and, this, and, and the State Department, in the case of Mrs. Clinton, and, and certainly the FBI, which is really part of the Justice Department in the sense that Barr is ultimately responsible uh, for everything Ray does. Right. Uh, there have been no change in terms of transparency. There have been modest disclosures, 
frankly, I think generated more by the Office of Director of National Intelligence right. uh, than the Justice Department. Uh, but uh, it's really inexcusable at this point because we're not asking for special treatment. We're asking that the law be followed. And the law requires that the government turn over documents more or less within 20 days or maybe two months at most. Right. And obviously when they're taking years and years to turn documents over, it's just contempt for the rule of law, in my view, and, and the, the people's right to know about the worst corruption scandal in American history. It's it's just hideous. It's um it's uh, unthinkable to think that um, even in a, you know an administration that would benefit from the flow of this information, that there are these bureaucrats that control the FOIA offices and the in the departments, and they're just simply shutting off the spigot and trying to hide what went on. And um, at some point, uh, there has to be a greater penalty. I just won a lawsuit in in uh, St. Louis in the state court uh, where the prosecutor, Kim Gardner, now has to write me a $5,000 check as a penalty because she's been withholding evidence in some of her prosecutions. But, you know, the taxpayers will pay for that. You know, it's crazy. They ought to pay for, their, pay for it with their job or their own personal money when they obstruct us and they don't. So just yeah, and, and but you, you raised the point, though, and, and, you know, for your listeners, why isn't just for John Solomon or Judicial Watch? It's for the citizens. Yeah, the public. So there are open records laws at the state level that are, frankly, more powerful sometimes than the federal law, or you provide greater access and ease of access than even federal records laws do. Right. And so all, all of what we're talking about, you can ask for documents, too, dear listeners. Uh, and I encourage you to do so. And, um, you know, it's easy to do. And, and as citizens, you have a right to do it. And it's a precious right because, you know, for all of our complaints, we have the rule of law here in the United States that allows us to go to court against the Justice Department, the FBI, the State Department. In your case, well, you, you've done litigation against those agencies as well, but yeah. at, at the state level as well. That's not, that's not true most of the rest of the world. And we have the right to petition our government and hold it accountable in a court of law. And, and God bless America that we're able to do what we're able to do. Because despite all the complaints, material still comes out that's astonishing and changes the course of history. It does. And in your group particularly, I mean, Judicial Watch, is, we can go through and find real moments in history where, where the public's knowledge changed because of, of litigation that you guys brought. It's, um, it is a gift, and you guys exercise it well on behalf of the American public. So we're so, so grateful of that. You've got a bunch of big uh, litigation that's pending that could have, if, if the bureaucrats comply, could have a profound impact even before uh, Election Day. You had a suit this week where you've gone to court now to get the rest of Hunter Biden's travel records. Talk about what you found in the first dump of records and then the oddity of the fact that there's like three years of records missing. Uh, bring us up to speed on that very important uh, public disclosure case. Well, you know, he's a private individual, so you can only get so much information about what he's up to. Uh, but one way to figure out where he was is to ask the Secret Service about details of his uh, protection. Um, within reason, obviously, we, we're not going to get security issues uh, that should be private. Uh, but the cost of the protection and things like that. And we found in our request, uh, in response to our request, that he fly, he flew to 29 different countries, or had 29 yes. foreign trips on which he received uh, Secret Service protection. I know you're, of interest, you're interested in a trip to Moscow. Um, what was really interesting, and we were talking about this earlier, John, before the show, is that these documents had been turned over to the Senate, but hadn't been released. We asked for them and got them, and of course we released them. And this is the problem I have with Congress is oftentimes they have documents that they get from the executive branch, they don't release them. 
And that's why you need independent entities and frankly journalists like yourself to try to get the documents separately because Congress can't be relied on, even if they're trying to do what they can in good faith to get the word out about what the government's really up to. Yeah. Uh, but but what is also interesting, though, quickly about the um, the Biden records is there's no record showing he went to Ukraine. That's at my least favorite Secret part Service of it. Protection, yeah. Before right. he was hired by Burisma, isn't that isn't that a quite the hat I trick? thought that was the jewel of the of the of many jewels in there. But <laughs> the, the dog the dog that didn't bark. The, yeah. the fact that he didn't go to Ukraine before he was hired by Burisma for that sweetheart job. Well, it's one of the few facts that back up the Hunter Biden story, which is he had no expertise. When he did that ABC interview, he basically acknowledged he got the job because of his last name. Well, your records show that he hadn't even been to Ukraine. He uh, he doesn't have natural gas experience, obviously. He doesn't know about Ukrainian law, and yet he ends up landing a $3 million two-year gig, at least certainly the money that flowed to his company through that. That was such an important finding. Talk about some of the other important countries that you found him flying to because they fall into his father's portfolio, right? Uh, what you really see is he's he's kind of in the vapor trail of his dad's policy folder uh, portfolio going to these countries uh, while Joe Biden is overseeing the policy. What were some of the other important trips that stood out in your mind? Well, there were five trips to China. I mean, that, that kind of uh, the, the, that that that's really readily apparent as important. And um, and one of those trips, obviously, I think, is one of the, the infamous trip uh, where he attended um, uh, a hotel uh, meeting, right? Yeah, but that was he flew over on Air Force Two. Uh, Biden was involved, at least uh, the vice president was involved, at least in one of the meetings, at least in an incidental way. And as a result of that trip, he was able to uh, get the uh, franchise, as I call it, uh, from the Chinese that was worth you know, a billion and a half dollars potentially. Right. So, so that's a big deal. And, you know, so we got the initial group of records, but uh, we did notice that they hadn't produced records for the last two and a half years of the Obama administration. So we want to know where else he went and what more details on the trips previous. So we've had to sue in federal court for it. And, you know, it's frustrating because this is just basic information we're asking for. But, um, you know, as I often say, we got this, we have to sue to get the time of day sometimes. Yeah, that's very true. Well, it's um, uh, the first round, the 440 trips that you found in the first round are so illustrative because you can now track where he was and now we can create a timetable. We not only know about the business deals, we'll now know when he was traveling and where and that really is a public service. And people say, well, he's a private individual, but the answer is he was flying in the vapor trail of his father's very public policy role and that's why we have these conflict of interest statutes in America, which is that if someone like uh, Joe Biden is is uh, involved in a policy that he knows will impact his immediate family financially. He's supposed to recuse himself, right? You don't you don't dispute the impeachment witnesses' testimony that Joe Biden and his son engaged in the appearance of a conflict of of interest that would you know prohibit it under the law, right? I thought that was the most important testimony of the impeachment because yes, obviously it was no testimony the president did anything wrong, but there right. was testimony confirming that agencies of the Obama administration, both the White House the State Department were concerned about Hunter Biden's business dealings. Yeah. That's testimony that um, Adam Schiff helpfully got for us. Yeah, there's no doubt. And we look back now at some of the testimony that people gave in that hearing, and there's new documents, thanks to you and my lawsuit and others. Uh, it's clear that Hunter Biden's name was being used as a bludgeon inside the State Department to uh, say, you've got to make these Burisma corruption allegations go away because Hunter Biden's on the board. So they were really using 
the vice president's son's name in the State Department as an excuse for why they should shut down the Burisma investigation. That's why these conflict of interest statutes exist. And Adam Schiff gave us that testimony, thankfully. <laughs> you know, back Go in the you. day, and this reminds me, you know, this is a nonpartisan issue. You're right. You know, you remember Dick Cheney and Halliburton. Yes. You know, and back during the war, we asked for documents about Halliburton during the Bush administration. And and the Bush administration, the Bush White House said there's no connection. The, the vice president's no longer involved in Halliburton. Uh, and, you know, all, the, all what you would expect the White House to say. Right. Well, in fact, the agencies were very much aware of the connection. That's right. And they were concerned about it. Yep. So, and then Halliburton got special favors, it looked like. Um, in a way that um, uh, probably shouldn't have. And it, was, it led pretty much anyone looking at the documents to say uh, what was going on here. In fact, we, we had one woman sign off on it, and she was doing it under objection because uh, she thought something was going on with Halliburton. Isn't so, I mean, this, this is nothing new. There's no, nothing not. new under the sun. The only difference is that we're only allowed to look at conflicts of Republicans and not Democrats. Well, and we don't buy into that. We look at conflicts of everybody. Yep, no, that's true. Your record has been yeah, to be apartisan and to just go where you know where there's symbols or signs of wrongdoing and find out if it's really there. And that's been what's made Judicial Watch so valuable to the American public for so many years now. Um, what are some of the other big litigations that you're in the middle of now that you think could yield important information before the election, after the election? What are the ones that you think are the most important ones on the front lines right now? Well, we have several Biden lawsuits against the State Department. I mean, we, we just, and of course, the State Department pre uh, pretended that coronavirus meant they couldn't do any FOIA. Right. So they essentially shut down for months. <laughs> now they're beginning to turn over documents, but of course, they're slow rolling the release of documents. That's right. I think the first batch we got that was significant was essentially news articles they were sending around to each other. Wow. So, so, uh, um, and this is related to Biden's firing of, because in my view, it was his firing of Shokin in the Ukraine. Right. Uh, so, so they're sitting on a mother load of documents at the State Department, not only uh, about uh, Biden, uh, but also about the targeting of Trump. And I, you know, I, I, I guess I can understand politically why the administration doesn't want to go back over that old ground. Right. But the president was right. The Ukrainians were messing with our elections right. in a substantial way by working with the Obama administration, and that deserves to be disclosed. And there's a lot of corruption uh, in terms of taxpayer funding that both you and Rudy Giuliani has um, quite diligently exposed that deserves to be talked about more. Yeah. Well, they sure were scared about that stuff. They sure took some uh, some uh, bites out of my hide trying to scare people away from looking at that reporting. But the great thing about stories like this, you can't hide the facts. And eventually, even if it takes a little more time and a little more pain and grit, uh, we always get the truth out. I have a personal interest in one of your lawsuits. I always like to put my biases or my personal interest in there. <laughs> but you uh, were the instrumental in bringing to light the fact that there are documents, which you're still fighting for, by the way, uh, that showed that there was a targeting of maybe 13 or 14 people in the spring of 2019, where the State Department tasked or tried to task people to monitor social media of 
various people. And if I understand correctly, tell me if your information matches what I'm learning in my reporting, that one, when the request came in, it even suggested that the people they were looking at were Trump people. There's some, it, it, they, when they identified the targets that they wanted to monitor, there was something about Trump in the request that made it so unusual. You don't ask for your boss's people, right? You just, you say, monitor these people. Have you found any evidence that the requests in the spring of 19 to monitor my social media, others' social media, had something to do in the request about Trump or supporting Trump or perception of Trump? Well, uh, that's a good question. Our initial reporting was that the uh, Ambassador Yovanovitch at the time had directed the staff right. to monitor what was being said about Ukraine and her and Soros, which is interesting, and uh, and Biden, if I recall correctly. Uh, the um, the problem they had was they were being asked to do too much out in the Ukraine embassy, so they sought help at the State Department here in D.C., yeah. and someone here in D.C. They said, hold on, on a second, <laughs> you can't do that, it's illegal. Right. It, just because you're monitoring social media, which is public, doesn't mean you're allowed to because you're creating a file on a U.S. citizen. Right. And you can't do that uh, unless you kind of follow, you know, follow the law. And they weren't doing that. Now, Yovanovitch has denied this generally without, you know, kind of an odd way. So it's a, it's a question as to how it went about, how it actually happened. Right. What's frustrating, John, is that they've had this request. It's a straightforward request, and they've been slow walking. They haven't given us, I think, one document on it yet. Unbelievable. And we know the documents are there based on our separate reporting. We right. know there's documents. Yes. And they're sitting on really evidence, in my view, of a crime because violating the Privacy Act is a federal crime. Yeah. And uh, they don't want to uh, release any of it to us. I don't know if you've been able to ask for it on your behalf either, but I have. I've got the same overwhelming response you got, which is nothing. And so we, you know, we've gone to court as well. We've sued as well. Um, well, uh, I, I was shown some documents the other day that relate to this, and it's clear that the Kiev embassy was told that their actions had violated federal law. And I think when we can get that document into the public in a way I can report or that you can get it through FOIA, we're going to find out that uh, this wasn't just a um, – this wasn't a – uh, policy issue. This was a personal uh, vendetta, a personal uh, uh, retribution effort uh, to target people who the, the embassy didn't like their point of view or their reporting on. And I think that's scary. And I'm not the only one on that list. Tell, tell us some of the names that your sources told you were also on the list. It wasn't just me. There were a lot of people on that list, right? Uh, well, it was Rudy Giuliani. Right. I think Sean Hannity was on the list. I'm going on memory here. Right. Uh, Donald Ingram, Trump maybe. Jr. Jr. Right. Uh, yeah, Laura Ingram, uh, the president's son, Don, uh, Donald Trump Junior, right, um, and so a whole host of um, uh, people were on the list, and uh, Ivanovich uh, clearly was worried about what was going on with Biden and Soros, and uh, you know one one of the big issues, at least uh, in Ukraine, was you had Soros providing money to one of the groups who were seemingly involved in this Ukraine effort to just disrupt our elections and attack Trump. And of course, that group's also getting money from the State Department. Right. So you've got these joint operations going on, and I think they still are going on between Soros and the State Department in terms of funding uh, these radical groups in European countries and elsewhere uh, that are, are odds with, I think, uh, the values of many Americans in terms of uh, being pro-socialist and anti-conservative. Such a good, such a good point. Um, I think we'll find out that the selection of people wasn't based on a business need, but on a 
perceived political orientation that they were looking to monitor. And that will raise questions about whether the embassy was really engaging in politics and not foreign policy, which um, is, I think. Yeah, I mean, the only outlier on the list, I recall, was the uh, Obama's former ambassador to Russia. And um, frankly, so, that's the exception that proves the rule. I have a reason why that person is probably on that list. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I know too. Yeah. But uh, you know, and and it's not because he was doing anything wrong, but right. because he was not seen as a friend. That's, that's right. how I look at it. Well, more even more so. Uh, at that moment in time when my social media was being monitored, I was in conversations to bring that person on the television show at Hill TV. And I, I wonder aloud when I see the ambassador's name on there, whether or not at some point my overseas conversations were monitored because the only, I know of a very personal effort I made to try to get him on my show to talk about what was going on in Ukraine. And why did I want him to come on and talk? Because at the moment in March, where all this, this is March of 2019, it's about six months before the impeachment fiasco started, Yovanovitch um, had created a controversy in Ukraine. Her conduct created a controversy. Why was it? There are three or four weeks before the Ukrainian election, and she goes out and recommends the firing of a prosecutor under Poroshenko's watch. And it was viewed in, by the Ukrainians as interference in the election and i was looking to get an experienced democrat ambassador to come on our show to to talk about you know was that a misstep what repercussions does it have and it's remarkable to me that he doesn't fit with all the other people on that list in terms of pedigree uh i you just i leave often wondering whether some form of intercepts or or overseas conversations were monitored because otherwise he doesn't make sense being on that list and i personally have the knowledge which is i know i was trying to get him to come on the show to talk about what had happened in ukraine because it created a controversy Ivanovich well, had to know, come, yeah. go ahead yeah I, I think you raise a, a, a point that's worth expanding on you know we presume uh, that the, or I think many presume that the monitoring of Trump, the illegal spying on Trump, was limited to Trump right. and Trump world. And to me, it's pretty clear the deep state, the Obama administration, saw an opportunity. They understood and figured out that if they used intel, overseas intelligence resources uh, abroad, uh, they could monitor Americans more easily. And uh, and I suspect. Uh, and you suspect that American citizens who were seen as critics of the Obama administration also were, were, were unmasked or monitored uh, either out of D.C. or, as you point out, maybe uh, you know, at individual embassies when, when they thought the need to. And it wasn't for intel counterintelligence reasons. It was because they were Googling political enemies uh, using NSA databases to see what would pop up. Yeah, that's what makes me think that the uh, the Bash prosecution, the uh, U.S. Attorney of Texas, um, John Bash, who's working on the unmasking and the upstream searching, that that may turn out to be, of all the three investigations independently that Bill Barr has launched, Durham, Jensen on, on Flynn, Bash on unmasking, that that one could yield the most dramatic uh, evidence of wrongdoing. And if, if there was an enemies list, and you know, I don't think I'm on an enemies list, but if there was an effort to use this to, to monitor perceived political enemies, uh, that will be as chilling as anything ever revealed in American history. And I, I think we're, we're waiting to, to find out what the truth is. What else? Uh, you're doing some good work in coronavirus. But I don't want to leave this issue sure, because sure. You just, you, you, I just remembered you were involved in another scandal or a victim. Yeah. Adam Schiff. Yeah, released my phone records. 
he released your darn phone records. He secretly subpoenaed the phone records of Rudy Giuliani right. and and uh, his American um, uh, business buddy or colleague, yeah. and then and then published your phone records. Yeah, without ever interviewing me to have the context. And what he did is he exposed contacts of mine that had nothing to do with the Ukraine story. Some of the calls he put out in the open, I know firsthand what they were about, and they weren't about Ukraine. One of the things that people don't realize is that Rudy Giuliani didn't start providing, you know, offering me information. I ended up never really reporting much that Rudy gave me because by the time he gave it to me, I'd already done my work and I already had the stories out. But a lot of my conversations with Rudy Giuliani in March and April were about the Russia case, about the impending Mueller report, and Adam Schiff puts them out with no investigation using McCarthy-like tactics, never even interviews me. He tells me he wasn't interested in what the calls were really about. He just wanted to do it to create the illusion of wrongdoing. It's terrible. It's just well, terrible, Well, it is Tom. terrible. And, you know, we sued to try to get the records, uh, at least right. the secret subpoena, and we were unsuccessful, at least initially, with the district court. Right. But let me, let me be clear. They're taking the position, forget about Obama spying. Right. The House of Representatives has taken a legal position that they can secretly subpoena an American's phone records and who knows what else, mm. and then publish them without any accountability. Now, if a cop went and got your phone records without a court-authorized That's subpoena, right. they'd be facing prosecution. They would. Now, now, but Adam Schiff is taking on to himself a new power for Congress to secretly subpoena people's phone records contrary to, the, uh, to, to every constitutional norm and amendment. It is remarkable. And you know what was most heartbreaking for me personally? Uh, I remember when the media got upset when Corey Lewandowski touched the hand of a reporter uh, who was trying to keep up with the president. And again, I, I wouldn't condone that behavior. I don't think it was very serious behavior, but I wouldn't condone it. But not a single one of the profession, except for the Wall Street Journal's editorial page, even saw anything wrong with what um, Adam Schiff did in releasing a reporter's contacts. And I think that's a sad statement about the current media's uh, apparently the First Amendment is selective for the for the media today. And I, I found that the most demoralizing point. If it wasn't for folks like you and others who spoke out in the Wall Street Journal uh, op-ed pages, I don't think anyone would have cared. And um, we live in a time where the mores of our professions are have been badly distorted. It's, it's terrible. It is. And, uh, you know, liberalism has died in the media in the old-fashioned sense of the word, and it's been replaced by some uh, a radical leftism that puts power in politics above, you know, the sort of principles of journalism they presumably have been following. Well, we got we to gotta tug it back, because I still believe journalism, when done right, is such an important vehicle. And many of the great stories written off of your documents prove that. You know, over the years, we learned things from the Judicial Watch that really informed the public and changed the course of history. And journalists writing about it is an important distribution. But right now, they seem to be disinterested in so much of the important stuff you're finding. I want to switch to one other topic, because I know you're, you're, we, we know your work on Russia and Ukraine is epic and important to everything we've learned. But you have a lot of other lawsuits that are looking at things like NIH and, and uh, budget and other things. Tell me about one lawsuit that hasn't gotten attention yet that you think is a really important public interest issue that we should all be watching for the good work of Judicial Watch. Well, we have an interesting lawsuit over, um, and we're working with other journalists over uh, our friends over at the Daily Caller News Foundation to get the records of Dr. Fauci and his top deputy from the early days of the coronavirus crisis about communications uh, related to coronavirus, WHO, and China. And we think that would be very interesting to see. I don't necessarily think Fauci was doing anything wrong, right. but I, I do want to know what the Chinese and WHO were telling our government early on. And I think it would be a, a very interesting to see 
how uh, they were being lied to because I suspect that's what we will find. Um, It's frustrating that they haven't turned over any documents, but they did confirm to us they found potentially 9,000 responsive records on their email systems, and now they have to kind of review those. 9,000, really? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't read, uh, you know, just uh, they yeah. use numbers like that to scare yeah, us and they, right. they kind of suggest they can never turn them over to us right, in a right. timely way. Well, uh, at 500 but, um, a month, it'll take them uh, three years to get it to you. <laughs> well, that's, that's what I fear. That's what I fear. And, you know, if I were the president and on, on not only coronavirus, but on every topic of public air policy concern, I'd be all on uh, all hands on deck. I'd go on a transparency care, say, yeah. release everything, release yeah. everything, err on the side of disclosure and timely disclosure. Well, the, the president clearly has been in favor. I, I know personally just from having conversations that you know he does believe in transparency and sometimes transparency is painful for everybody, but he did it with the Ukraine conversation. I think that was historic when he released his, the transcript of his conversation with Zelensky, but it was necessary for the American people to realize that a charade was going on. But there's a great moment here on China on health issues to, to achieve more transparency. And I uh, will be looking with bated breath to see what your, what your lawsuit produces here. Tom. Um, I could talk all day with you. You are an amazing resource for reporters who care about the truth. And we want to, on behalf of all of us who, who do the type of work we do in journalism, I want to thank you and Judicial Watch for helping us understand what goes on in our government. And let's make this a regular thing. I would love to have you back on the podcast regularly to talk about all the, all the great endeavors that you're doing. There's something going on every day, as you know, in the <laughs> world of investigative journalism and just investigations generally. Um, And uh, it's never going to stop. And it's not going to stop no matter who wins in November. That's right. Yep. Well, our founding fathers wanted transparency to be one of those checks and balances. And thanks to your great work and your instincts and the effort, people don't, I don't think, appreciate how much effort a FOIA lawsuit takes. Uh, I do after watching great lawyers fight through it like you uh, or like your group has done. But at the end of the day, um, these are hard work when, when you have to get into litigation. And we're just so grateful that you fight for the American public to, to learn the things that we've been able to learn. So thank you, Tom. Well, you're welcome, and uh, one day you'll get that Pulitzer, John. <laughs> I'm not holding my breath. I'm, <laughs> I'm much more interested in the next good document have. That's far more important. I hear you. I hear you. I hear Well, folks, you've been listening to the one and only Tom Fitton from Judicial Watch. We're going to come back from a commercial break and wrap things up. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
right, folks, that wraps up a special edition of John Solomon Reports. I think you know why we called it special. It's not very often that we get the chance to talk to Tom Fitton and brainstorm about the most important issues in America that need to be disclosed through the Freedom of Information Act, through federal agencies, through uh, the uh, act of disclosure by our government. And uh, remember, I think what Tom said was so important. This is not about politics. We're not trying to help or hurt Donald Trump. We're not trying to help or hurt um, Dr. Fauci or uh, the Congress. We're trying to get the American people a set of facts upon which they can make their own independent judgments about the conduct of their government, whether it's Adam Schiff or Devin Nunez, Donald Trump or Nancy Pelosi, uh, the NIH, the FBI, the DOJ. It's all about using truth as a check and balance to make sure that we get the best government our dollars can pay for, the government that's closest to what our founding fathers so brilliantly created. Uh, 244 plus years ago in Philadelphia. So uh, people like Tom Fitton play such an important role. His group, Judicial Watch, plays an important role. Sure, we're antagonistic when we sue. No one likes to sue. Uh, it's expensive. It's time consuming. But today, it's one of the ways that we can ensure that you, the public, you, the voting public, you, the American people, you, the citizenry, whose government uh, must respond to you, that you have the information, the facts, that permanent bureaucrats in the government might not have wanted to give up. And that's why we had the conversation we did today. I'm so grateful. Please enjoy your weekend. Have a healthy, happy, safe um, August weekend. I hope you're going to the beach or sitting out on the deck and catching a sunshine. If you're going to read a great book, I may recommend Fallout, my book with Seamus Bruner. And here's another one. I'll give you a homework assignment. I know that sounds kind of corny, but Matt Margolis has a new book out called Earborn. It is a remarkable analysis of the failures of the American news media covering the ongoing COVID crisis. Yes, this is a real-life book playing out in real time, how Matt pulled it off to find these really significant failures in reporting and pull all the facts together is amazing. He's going to be our special guest because we're going to have another special edition of John Solomon Reports on Monday. That's right, Matt Margolis, the author of Airborne. Uh, it's a great story. Uh, factual base story of how the American news media have let us down. If you want to get ahead of that, order his book on, on Amazon, download it on the Kindle, read it this weekend. The interview will make a lot more sense on Monday. If not, you can go to the jtnshop.com. That's right, the Just the News store. That's where you've been getting all that lobster and crab legs and, and the Clean Phone Pro cleaner and other great items that you've been buying, supporting our journalism in the process. Matt Margolis's book is now up for purchase there. I hope you enjoy it. Hope you enjoyed this special podcast with Tom Fitton. Have a blessed weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday.